Hello, Revolution. Hello? Is this on? Let me do that again. Hello, Revolution! Much better. Much better. Okay, well, it's good to see you guys. Um, Like always, I have some announcements. What else is new, right? But uh, first off, um, Elizabeth Prainer, she goes to Shawnee. She is doing, she's making a bunch of Easter cards. Just go ahead and stand up, Elizabeth, real quick. Um, So if you guys, she's going to send them to the nursing homes. So if you guys would like to help her after the service, she, uh, a bunch of the kids are actually working on them right now. So old old folk love that. Um, But there's going to be a lot. She has like over 100 and almost 200 to make. So if you guys would like to help her out with that, just stick out the service and she'll tell you what you need to do. Um, We have some small groups going on. We'd love for you to get involved if you are not. Uh, It'll really help you grow in your faith and help you meet some other people um, and really, you know, it'll show like what they're doing in their walk and uh, you guys can keep each other accountable and just really great tool to grow closer to people and closer to God as well. Stephen is doing a small group every week after Revolution, after the service on Sunday nights. So if you guys would like to get involved, see Steve. Um, Monday nights we have one at Shawnee. So if you guys are college students, Try and get involved that way. David is leading that one. Some Monday nights and on Tuesday nights, Dustin Cooley is doing a small group at the Rev House. Um, and I just started a guy's uh, Bible study on Thursday nights. So if any of you guys want to get involved, um, let me know after the service. Free market is coming up the 25th of April. If you guys don't know what that is, it's where we like to gather a bunch of um, new and gently used stuff, whether it's clothes or, or um, non-perishable food. I remembered it this time. And just furniture, or just any type of things, toys, anything people in the community can use, and we give them out for free, let people come in and take what they need. So if you guys, we really uh, could use some donations. We only have a few weeks left, about a month actually, for that. And that's going to be the 25th of April. See Alex and Autumn if you guys have stuff to bring in. Um, Easter is coming next week, and we're going to be doing some baptisms. So that's great. Um, if you are wanting to get baptized, or if you have any questions, see Dave, see Ryan after the service, and we'd love to get you hooked up there. Um, the last one I have is cookouts in the trash pickup. Unfortunately, the weather was bad this weekend, um, but they're going to be coming up soon. So just uh, make sure you are uh, just leaving time in your schedule to uh, serve. And, you know, even when we're not doing these little events and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> make sure make sure uh, you're serving, and don't just depend on these little things weekly uh, to be serving, but make sure every day that you guys are serving. But now, that was awkward. Um, here is your greeting tool. Uh, it is, crap, on it. It's AJ's birthday. I was going to have you all greet him, but he's in the nursery. So that was really bad timing. Who's? Oh, it's Nigel's Greet Nigel for, uh, it's his birthday. Happy birthday. In the 17th century, George Herbert wrote one of the greatest poems ever about prayer. Now in that poem, George Herbert is getting at the richness the multifaceted nature of prayer, and especially the paradoxes of prayer. You see, prayer is awe before an infinite force, and yet it's intimacy with a personal friend. Prayer is a struggle and a duty, and yet it's a delight. Prayer takes both the head and the heart, It's based on what we know about God. It's based on the truths that we hold about God in our mind. And yet, it is what the Scottish theologian John Murray called an intelligent mysticism because it it absorbs the entire being and it certainly engages the deep affections of the heart, even deeper than we can, can express. Herbert's poem is a beautiful summary of what I've learned about prayer and especially what I've learned about prayer in the last 10 years. And it's what I'm seeking to share with you in my book.
Hello? There we go. That's what I'm talking about. One more time, because I'm not going to use this mic. Hello? There we go. One more time. What's up, Revolution? I'll take it. So I was thinking of how to start this this sermon, because this is always the hardest part. It's really awkward just to get up here and just start. What are you afraid of? I'm not preaching on demons or anything like that this evening. Don't get that in your head. Uh, you shouldn't be afraid of them either. But what are, what are you afraid of? Right? Crickets? <laughs> that's real. Crickets. Birds? That's legit. Anyone? Fish? Puppets? Clowns? Someone? Tornadoes? <laughs> Elmo? All right. That, that's good. Like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's legit. Right? Some of us are afraid of some really funny things. Some things we shouldn't be afraid of at all, right? Um, but we're all afraid of something, right? Uh, I was in a band for a few years with, a, with this one guy named Tyler Doyle, all right? And Tyler Doyle was deathly afraid of snakes, all right? Like, it was, it was ridiculous. One time he got this brand-new home computer. It was a Mac. I don't know how many thousands of dollars he spent on it. And we put this, this picture of a snake that it like, looked like it was going to eat you, like his mouth was open really wide, and we signed him out of his computer. And then whenever he came back from the bathroom, he sits down and says, oh, this is weird, signs himself back in, and, like, literally falls out of his chair. And we're all sitting there dying laughing. Uh, he hated snakes. So, obviously, whenever you go on tour with someone and you know that they hate snakes and they're sleeping in a sleeping bag, what do you do? You, you find a bunch of rubber snakes at a store somewhere, and you just stuff the sleeping bag full of them. Uh, yeah, you guys see where I'm going with this. I got called everything but a nice white man the next morning whenever this guy woke up. It was so bad. Um, another one, my, my best friend Nathan Wolf. Uh, he is terrified of spiders. Anyone else? Like, me and him are the same on this one. I hate spiders. Ryan Roth got a taste of it this weekend. He's pointed up at the wall. Is that a spider? And I, like, shrunk back, like, in, immediately, which is funny because Spider-Man's, like, one of the coolest, like, superheroes of all time, one of my favorites next to Batman, of course. Don't ever get that twisted. Um, but Nathan Wolf, he seriously, he would burn his house down to kill a spider. Like, I, I remember uh, one time there was a spider in the floor, and this thing was huge. It was like that without the legs. Like, it was ridiculous. I'm exaggerating, but it was huge. And, uh, and he seriously takes his phone out of his pocket, and he just goes, ah, like, chucks it. And then he screamed at the otter box would pay for it after it shattered, and, and they did. Uh, right, and, uh, another thing at the Rev House, me and, uh, me and Steve and uh, Dustin, we are afraid of Stephen King. And for those of you who have been there, we're not talking about the books and we're not talking about the movies. We have this cardboard cutout of Stephen King. And it's like old, creepy, weird mustache, 1990s Stephen King. And we hang it like everywhere in the house, um, primarily in the shower. So whenever the person who gets up earliest in the morning goes to the shower, um, you open the door and there's Stephen King staring you dead in the eye. And you just scream, wake everyone up. Everyone has a good laugh except you, but you're awake for the day. Um, <laughs> I, I hate it. Oh, So... We're all afraid of something, right? Now, I'm going to be as, as transparent with you guys as I can this evening. Uh, I'm afraid of some of the things in the Bible. I, I love the Bible. Um, I, I want to learn it all. I want to learn as much as I can before I die so that I can teach you guys as much as I can. Um, but some of the things in Scripture make me uncomfortable. And because of that, I don't like to talk about them, let alone preach about them. I mean, those three things, if, I, if you guys know me, you probably already know what they are. Uh, the first one is healing. I really don't like to talk about healing, usually because everyone's watched Benny Hinn and all that crap, where like they smack the tar out of you, and you're like, boogers go flying out your nose, but you can walk now. Um, but for the, for the record, he's never healed a paraplegic or anything like that, just throwing that out to you. Um, the second thing that I don't like to talk about is gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, like the charismatic gifts, like speaking in tongues, stuff like that, uh, because I don't really know where I land on that yet. That's something I'm still working through, and I don't want you guys to ever think that I, I think that I know everything. Um, and usually I'll offend someone with, with the stance that I take on it or get in some kind of argument with them. Um, and the third thing that I, I really don't like to talk about much is prayer. Anyone else? No? Okay, just me. I'm a sinner. I'm the only sinner in the room. Um, and that's what we're talking about this evening. We're talking about prayer. Um, so it's time for complete honesty this evening. I'm going to be totally real with you guys. I am weak with prayer. Uh, that is the, the number one area in my spiritual life. That is the number one spiritual discipline that I fall short on on a regular basis. Um, you know, I'm a nerd, so I, I personally, and I don't know how many, I think some of you here will resonate with me on this. I would rather read a book 
or read scripture for like four hours straight than, than pray for a half hour. Like, that's just me. I would rather read, and I would rather read, and I tend to neglect prayer. Um, and, and I mean, like, intentional prayer, where, like, I'm going to go be by myself for an hour, and I'm just going to sit down, and I'm just going to bleed it out to God, and I'm going to tell him what's up. Uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to petition him to help me out. I'm going to ask for strength. I'm really just going to be intentional with my time and, and talk to God. Um, now, I'm, I'm better than I used to be, um, but I'm still not where I need to be. Um, and and uh, to quote Matt Chandler, he always says, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there, right? And I think that's pretty legit. Um, I have a lot of, of room to grow on that. And chances are, if I'm this way, unless this is just I'm a freak, most, like, not most, but at least some, maybe probably most, of you guys are like that. Like, can we be honest in here? Like, who, who, who thinks they pray enough? All right, I'm not alone. That's what I'm talking about. You guys are sinners too, right? All right, so we don't tend to focus on prayer very much. Um, we tend to kind of shelve it and think that we're doing pretty all right by ourselves, and we don't tend to spend enough time in prayer until something happens, right? Until someone gets sick or a death occurs or we need something um, or we're trying to get a job or we want something else or our whole world is crashing down around us. Then we want to seek God in prayer. And I think that's because we stupidly think that, that we're doing just fine by ourselves and that we've got everything under control. And, and what God tends to do in those moments is he, he lets us know really abruptly that we don't control Jack, like at all. And then what do we do? We begin to seek God in prayer. We begin to ask God. We begin to talk to him more and tell him what's up and tell him that we need help. But even then, I've noticed at least, even then we don't really pray the way that he wants us to pray. We don't really ask for the things he wants us to ask for. What we tend to do is we tend to pray, even in the moments of, of like bitterness in our lives, we tend to pray like selfish children, only asking for more stuff, more health, um, you know, more money, uh, a better job, a hot wife, uh, a new car, whatever. Whenever we pray, we still tend to ask for worldly stuff, stuff that's only going to matter here and now in this life and nothing eternal. That's how we tend to pray, I think. We don't ask for the things that God actually wants us to want and wants us to receive. And furthermore, I was thinking about this. We don't take, the, we don't take advantage of just like the straight-up privilege that we've been given to talk to God. Think about that. The God, the creator of the universe, the king, the judge of all men, that guy wants us to talk to him. He wants us. Now, I don't know about you guys. I'm the dude who, like, occasionally gets caught picking his nose in traffic, right? And, like, God wants to talk to, like, wants me to talk to him. Like, I don't know why. Apparently, you guys think picking your nose is gross. I thought you guys would laugh at that, you know, whatever. All right, but to get a little bit more serious with it, we're the ones who fail to do the will of God daily. We're the ones who rebel against God's commands daily, and he still says, yeah, and I still want you to talk to me, and I still want you to call me Father. And yet we won't take advantage of that. So what we're going to do this evening is we're going to take a look at prayer. We're going to take a look at the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, depending on how theologically pretentious you want to be. It can be called either. Um, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. All right, and we're going to take a look at how Jesus tells us to pray, the kind of themes and stuff that he wants us to pray about. And what I want us to do is match up how we pray with how Jesus wants us to pray. And I hope by the end of this that we're going to see a few things, that we're going to realize that God is a good father and that we're his children. And then I hope that we'll begin to pray more and ask for the things that he delights in giving us. That's my goal by the end of this. All right, so let's check it out. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11. It's going to be up here on the projector behind me. And also, uh, there are blue Bibles out there. You guys sitting in the back row. We're, going to, we're getting ready to get some more in. Uh, but take those with you. If you don't have a Bible or the Bible you have is hard to understand, that's our gift to you. Take it home. All right, but verse 1. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Right, So remember that first line, once Jesus was in a certain place praying. Jesus, throughout all of the Gospels, especially in Luke, he is always in prayer. 
And the disciples were actually impressed. I thought about making a slide, but, like, we already had, like, 17 slides that they had to go through, and I felt bad for them, didn't want to make another one. Like, all these spots, like, like high teens to 20s spots in this Gospel of Luke alone that says, and Jesus went off to pray, and Jesus was praying, and lifting his eyes to heaven, Jesus said, and all this stuff over and over and over and over and over again. Jesus is constantly in prayer. So the disciples were impressed, and they, and they wanted to imitate Jesus, right? And this means that... Prayer is incredibly important if, if Jesus is doing it. All right? and like I said earlier, we don't do it enough. But think about this. The God-man, Jesus, the sinless one, the one who doesn't need help with obedience, the one who, 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 who all of this stuff is perfect in every way, who is divine, says that it's important for him to go off by himself and pray. So, like, why do we think we can skip on this, I guess, right? Like, that, that's what hit me whenever I was, I was looking at that first verse. Why do I think that I can skip out on this, right? Being in the, being the fullness of God in human form, Jesus seeks to, uh, to be alone and go to the Father for intimacy, right? He made time. He wanted time to be alone and draw near to God. Like, it's that kind of important that Jesus wanted to do it. But do we tend to view prayer that way? I, I would say no, right? Uh, usually, like, anyone pray in the morning? No? A few of you, right? Usually we're praying on the way to work, though, right? Like, God, please don't let me fall asleep. Uh, like, I, I don't want to be responsible for anything bad that happens. Or, like, later on in the day, uh, you know, we're going to pray uh, for patience, usually while we're on the toilet playing Candy Crush, because that is an impossible game, and no one can beat it, and you're trying not to break your phone. Um, surprise, surprise, I use toilet humor. Uh, Right, but that's usually how we tend to pray, really off, like we're driving to work or we're in the middle of doing something else and we're like, I'm going to shoot a prayer up to God. But Jesus was going off alone, actually sectioning off time to pray. All right, we have to get better with this. We have to be intentional about our prayer. So Jesus is going to, we're going to see, he teaches us to pray by example. He doesn't just tell us, um, hey, you know, you should try these things or consider these different ways to pray. He says, I'll just tell you uh, how I pray. I'll just show you by example. So we need to pay attention, and we're really going to dissect this prayer and see what all these lines, they all have purpose. They all carry a lot of meaning. Um, we need to pay attention because this is how Jesus himself prayed. These were the themes that he prayed about. Um, this prayer is not meant to be literally repeated and prayed um, like a ritual all the time, although you could do that if you actually know what it means. Um, but this is how we're to pray what we're to be dwelling on and meditating on as we pray, whenever we pray. Every single time that we pray, Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. So let's check this out. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Father. This is going to take forever, right? Like I'm stopping at the first word. (laughs) Some of you don't think that's funny. This is awkward. Like you guys aren't laughing at anything that I have to say this evening. Whatever. I'm giving you guys gold. I don't even care anymore. All right, but think about this, the term father. This is a really, really intimate term. Um, it still carries, like, a lot of respect with it. It's not like Abba. It's not like Daddy. Uh, it's, it's another word that I'm not going to try to pronounce because I'll screw it up. Uh, but it's a familiar, intimate term. And what Jesus is doing is he is inviting us to speak to God on a personal level. He's telling us God's not this distant, faraway being to you. He's not this God that's angry with you. I want you to address him as Father. He's not so far away from you. He's right here. But. There's a presupposition to you calling God Father, right? And here's what it is, and I want you to really pay attention to this, um, especially if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus. The presupposition to calling God Father is that you have an intimate relationship with the Father already, right? And that kind of relationship is only found through faith in Jesus' perfect life, death in your place for your sin, and in his resurrection. That's the only way that we even know the Father. Like we talked about last week, Jesus says, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. All right, so if you don't know Jesus, you don't know the Father, and you cannot call him Father. Right, so addressing God in this intimate way is not for unbelievers. It's not. Right, and I hear this a lot on Shawnee campus, and it's funny because people who's never given a whole lot of thought to it. Um, you know, we're all God's children with always like a cheesy smile, like something off TBN or whatever. You know, whatever. Um, no, you're not. Like in some like big general way because God's the creator and he knitted us all together in our mother's wombs. Sure, God is father in that way, but not in this intimate way. You're not his child if you do not know Jesus, but, but you are a child of sorts. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 says that by nature we are children of wrath. 
that apart from Christ, we are under God's condemnation and his judgment because we have rebelled against him. We have not loved him. We've broken his law and we've sinned. But only faith in Christ is going to atone for that sin. Only faith in Christ is going to cover our guilt, right? So you're going to be a child, and I want, to, I want you guys to know this for certain. You're going to be a child, you're, but you're either going to be a child of wrath or you're going to be a child of God. There's no middle ground there. Jesus actually, in Luke eleven twenty three says that either you're with me or against me. If you don't gather with me, you scatter. There is no middle ground. Indifference is a myth. There is no middle way. You're either a child of God because of your faith in Christ or you are a child of wrath. But here's what's cool. For those of us who are actually in Christ, he tells us to address God as Father. Some of you guys maybe don't think that's as as beautiful as I do. And maybe I appreciate it a little bit more on some level because I hated God. Um, The Bible says that you all did too until you came to faith in Jesus. But maybe you don't feel that way. Um, but consider this, the, the one, the God, the creator, the father that we were once so far away from that we did not love, that we did not desire to serve, that we actually wanted nothing to do with now calls us his beloved children through Jesus. That's beautiful. All right, so don't take calling God father for granted. This is a privilege for us. This is the kind of love that he has for us. Right? And, and, and note this too, Father is the address to the prayer, so this is all addressed to God. Uh, but we're going to see that this whole prayer is actually centered on God. Everything, every single petition, everything in this prayer is centered on God and his honor and his glory. So Jesus says, Father, may your name be kept holy. All right, now, name. Name means the whole person. I wish it was just as easy as like, Jesus is saying like, the name God. Right, which that could be legit too. But like Jesus isn't just saying like, don't say GD here, right? Which is legit, like you shouldn't do that. I'm not like advocating that in, in at all. But like name means the whole person. So Jesus is saying, God, may you be holy. May you set yourself apart. May you be revered. May you be given respect. May you be honored in everything. That's what Jesus is praying that God would do for himself. And we know God's faithful to that because he does everything for his glory. But in asking for this, what we're also showing, God, may your name be kept holy. God, I am radically committed and dedicated to showing um, your, how much I revere you and how much I respect you in my daily life. It shows our dedication to keeping his name holy. Um, our desire to revere him, our desire to give him honor, I, to show his absolute worth to us, to everyone around us. Um, essentially, what we're asking here, God, keep your name holy. God, help me to live a holy life that brings you glory in my obedience. That's what we're asking for here is that God make us holy. We're, we're essentially asking God to increase our obedience whenever we say, make your name holy. And then Jesus says this, may your kingdom come soon. Now, this seems kind of weird. Jesus is is always saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and it was, right? Uh, And actually, at uh, the resurrection of Christ, the kingdom was inaugurated, all right? And what that means is is it's here, but it's not quite here yet, right? And, And what that means is God's reign has become visibly active in the lives of his people, and Satan's power has been limited severely, and the Holy Spirit now works through us and in us to bring more of God's reign here on earth right now, right? So the kingdom is already here, but not quite yet. So that that could be one of the ways to look at may your kingdom come soon. But what this is fully asking for is this is asking God to completely consummate the kingdom, to bring it fully to us, to crush the kingdom of Satan and end the human rebellion against him. What we're doing whenever we ask God, may your kingdom come soon, We're asking God to save his chosen people and bring heaven to earth like he's promised he would do. All right, we're actually, this is kind of cool, we're praying for the end of sin, right? We're praying for the return of Jesus, right? And I don't know about you guys, but I don't don't tend to do that all the time. Um, We take it as like a given, like it's going to happen, and it is going to happen because God says it's going to happen. But we don't actively pray for it like Jesus tells us to do it here. When that's actually kind of a cool historical fact, rabbis back in the day, um, they actually thought that a prayer wasn't a complete prayer if you did not ask God to bring his kingdom, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, But that's really worth thinking about, right? Bring your kingdom here. 
Um, consummate your kingdom. Um, where's your heart on that? This is a question I'd ask myself, right? Um, do you want Jesus to return right now? And of course you say, yeah, of course I want Jesus to come back. But think about this. Are there some things that you would rather do first before Christ comes back? Um, would you rather get married? Like, Lord, don't come yet. Let me, let me get some things in line. Like, let me get married. Um, let me have some kids. Uh, let me graduate college, right? Because Lord knows we don't want all this money to go to waste. Um, you know, see uh, your, your kids grow up if you already have kids. Uh, become a grandparent, right? This kind of stuff. Would you rather that stuff happen uh, before Christ comes or would you rather him come right now? Right, and that's a gut check of idolatry to us. This actually knocks out that prayer, may your kingdom come soon, is designed uh, to, to knock the idolatry right out of our gut. I, I love Autumn, and I, I'm excited to marry Autumn, but my prayer should be, Jesus, come before I can get married. Right? It's something to consider. Um, and, and again, by extension, we're, we're saying, God, I'm radically committed to bringing your kingdom here in my life as much as I can. I, I'm, I'm committed to serving people. I'm committed to telling people the gospel. Um, I'm, I'm committed to loving others like I love myself. I'm, I'm committed to doing kingdom work here and now. We're telling God our, our dedication to do his will. And this is also something to consider. This is us crying out to God, your kingdom, not mine. May you reign in me more. Um, well, may your will be done, not mine. May your name be great, not mine. Reign more fully in my life. May your kingdom come. And then Jesus moves on and says, give us each day the food that we need. Right? And this is pretty plain in the immediate context. Right? Food. God, give me what I need for today to stay alive. Right? If, if I don't get food, I'm going to die which was a legitimate concern back then. Uh, but for us, you know, we have Walmart and we have Kroger and we have Blackburn's Grocery that you guys should go to in New Boston and help my uncle out. And we have um, Mule Town Mini Mart in Minford that you should come to and keep me in a job. Um, no one thinks that I'm funny this evening. Thank you, thank you. I'm just, I want sympathy laughs. Just give me one. Oh, stop, stop. Thank you. You're too much. You're too much. Charlie Murphy, you're too much. Right? That was so stupid. Why did I say that? Right? But in the secondary context, all right, no, the primary context is give me the food that I need for today. In the secondary context, what this is is saying, God, give me what I need in general. I think that we and them both can take the secondary context, but we're going to take it more than they would have. Give me what I need today. And think of this like in a spiritual way. Whatever I need today to make me grow, to be more like Jesus. This isn't give me what I want today. This is give me what I need, no more and no less than what I need to make me more like Jesus, for me to grow in holiness and grow in obedience, right? This is kind of a cool proverb to check out, talking about God, give me what I need. Proverb 30, verses 7 through 9. Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me to never tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. All right, so consider this. Whenever we get, I think that proverb is just so legit and it hit me right between the eyes. Whenever we get everything that we want, we tend to ignore God. If God gave me all the money in the world, I would tend to say, who is God? I need nothing. And here's the thing. God loves us too much to let us destroy ourselves with everything that we say we want. God knows better than we do for what we want. He knows what's going to destroy us. Like, I don't have any children, but I know if I had a six-year-old son and he said, Dad, I want a 10-gauge uh, shotgun for my birthday, I'm going to say, absolutely not. You'll kill yourself. You know, if he said, Dad, I want a straight razor kit so I can learn how to shave, I would say, why do you want to shave? One, I've taught you better than this. And two, you'll slit your throat. You'll die. You'll destroy yourself if I give you the gifts that you're asking me to give you. And I think that that's why we don't get everything that we pray for. God's a good father who gives us what we need. If he gave us everything that we wanted every single time that we asked for it, we would say, who is God? And we would leave. And he loves us too much to let us do that to ourselves. Right? But, but bear this in mind, this whole prayer is about the pursuit of God and wanting to be holy and wanting to bring him glory. 
bearing that in mind, know this. Whenever we ask God, give me what I need for today, sometimes we need to suffer. I, I don't like this any more than anyone else does in here. But sometimes we need to suffer. We need to experience death or someone around us needs to experience death or there needs to be sickness or there needs to be uh, loss or we need to experience poverty on some level or, or we need trials is what I'm saying. Why? Why do we need trials? James says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And Hebrews 5.8 says this, Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. The, the hard, raw fact that God knows that we want to tend to ignore is that we grow in obedience and we grow in holiness when we suffer. It's a fact. It's not fun. Um, I'm not saying you should pray for suffering. Like, bring it on, Lord. I can handle it, right? Like, let everyone around me get sick and die. That'd be stupid, right? James says, not if they come, but when trials come. Um, so you don't need to pray for them. But whenever we have to deal with stuff like that, we benefit from it because our faith is being completed. We're not being punished uh, or anything like that, but our faith is being tested so that we could be complete and full in our faith, lacking nothing. And God is glorified when we grow. And remember, the first things that we're asking is, God, may your name be holy. May I become holy. May I be more like Jesus. May your kingdom come. May I establish your kingdom here as much as I can in my life. Give me what I need to be more like Jesus. Help me to grow. And that should be our goal. And then Jesus says this, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now this is just too cool to me. Bear in mind, Jesus is sinless right? He's the God man. He's never sinned. He's never messed up any of this stuff. Uh, And Jesus knows this about us though. He knows that daily we are going to come to God as sinners. So he actually, he makes provision in this prayer for us to come to God and say, man, I screwed up. Jesus, who never screwed up, puts provision in here for us so that we can come to God um, and, and acknowledge the mercy of God on us as his children. And I, I think this is, this is pretty cool, too. This part being in the prayer, uh, it actually keeps us from becoming self-righteous jerks. Jesus says, whenever you pray, every day, ask God to forgive you for your sins. Jesus is saying, you will mess up every day. Don't be self-righteous and think that you're not going to mess up. Don't think that you're better than the person next to you because, you know, as, because they've messed up in a way that you haven't. Um, that they've sinned in a way that you haven't. It actually, it forces us to admit that we fail to be what God desires for us. Please forgive me. And and also, it magnifies the glory of God because we're recognizing him as merciful. And it shows our desire to change, to be more like Jesus. Making his name holy, bringing his kingdom here. And this is also a big daily gut check to me. Um, It's presupposed... Again, some presuppositions in this prayer. It's presupposed that we are living in grace and forgiveness towards other people. And because of that, that's how we come to God. Because we've already experienced the grace and mercy afforded to us by Christ's sacrifice. So let that be a gut check to you as well. And then Jesus ends with this. And don't let us yield to temptation. So finally, the prayer ends with yet another plea to be made holy so that we could glorify God, just like it starts, right? So again, we're asking God to aid us in our obedience to his impossible standard of perfection, right? We're, we're, like, we're being like David in the Psalms saying, lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake so that you would be glorified in how I'm living in obedience to you. Jesus tells us to ask for spiritual protection by God against Satan. So what we're doing in this too, don't, don't let me yield to temptation. We're saying, you know, help me, Father, I can't obey you if you don't help me. We're we're acknowledging that we can do nothing to conquer sin without the power of God, without his provision, without his preservation on us. We're asking him, please make me like you yet again. All right, so that's the the prayer. So what Jesus has, has done for us in this is he's lined out the themes that we should bear in mind every single time that we pray. 
Um, and there's, there's three themes to this. One, that God's glory be manifested in our lives and that he would bring the kingdom uh, to a full like, consummation. And the second one is, is we're asking for God's provision for us, what we need for the day to be made more like Jesus. And third, uh, we're asking for our being made holy and obedient for his glory. Those are the themes of the prayer. It's all God-centered. We're not even really mentioned in this, except for please make me more obedient. Let me make your glory shine here in, in the earth and in my life. And I think that we tend to get everything backward when we pray. Um, we focus on us and what we want, and it's all about me, and it's all about me getting more and me, me, me. So what we do is we turn God into Santa Claus with power, right? Like we turn him into like the, the Robin Williams genie from Aladdin, which is the best Disney film in the world, I might add. Um, but that's not okay. All right, that, that way of praying is not all right. That's not godly prayer. Right? And here's where I'm hoping that I'll kind of flip the script for you guys. That's not godly prayer, how we tend to, tend to pray, but that's the point of prayer. Hear me on this. The point of prayer is to make us godly people. The point of prayer is not to twist God's arm and, and get him to change his mind and get him to do what you want him to do. The point of prayer is to center us on who God is and realign our thinking in accordance with why we even exist. That's the true point of prayer. All right, we're, we're, we're giving our cares about what we think that we need to God. We're asking for obedience. We're asking for a change in our heart. We're asking uh, for, for God's glory to shine more on the earth and in our lives. It's all God-centered, and it's, it's a realignment of our thinking because God saved us for obedience. He saved us to make us more like Christ. Our, the whole reason we exist is to give him glory and find joy in obeying him. That's what prayer does is it centers us back on that. It's not twisting God's arm. Right, but then Jesus moves from what we should pray for, and he moves to our attitude in prayer that we should have. And he says this, uh, verses 5 through 8, Then teaching them more about prayer, he, Jesus, used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Now, I know what you're thinking whenever you hear this because you're thinking the same thing that I thought when I read this. If I'm the dude coming for help and God's the guy inside the house, God's a jerk. Right? Like, that's what I thought whenever I read this for the first time. I was like, geez. Like, that, wouldn't that be awful? Like, uh, Father, what? Like, get it together, Dave. Like, I, don't, I can't help you right now. Right? But that's not the point of Jesus' parable here at all. Uh, the point of the parable, Jesus says, suppose you have a friend like this. The, the point of the parable is to make us say, I couldn't imagine a true friend acting that way. My friend would help me, unless your friends suck. Right? Like, the point of this parable is to say, like, I can't imagine a true friend acting that way. So, how much more then, if a reluctant jerk will help you because you keep asking, how much will God, who loves us, give aid to us whenever we ask? That's the point. So just like you would boldly go to a friend at midnight for help, be bold and ask God for help in these themes and these things that Jesus says that we should be desiring. Because God will never cease to do good as he sees fit for his children. He's never going to turn us away. Our God doesn't sleep. He's never going to turn you away. And because God won't turn us away, Jesus again tells us to ask God for help. He says, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. So let's clear this one up too. I can't, like, let any of these things go. Like, this is probably one of the most, like, frequently out of context quoted things in the whole world. Jesus is not saying that you will get whatever you ask for. 
Now, I know Joel Osteen would tell you something different, but what I want you to do is really bear in mind who you're going to trust, me or the guy with the smile of a used car salesman, all right? That's all I'm saying. He gets all of his teeth to show in one thing. I don't know how he does it. Um, I want to get on that level with my dental game <laughs> before I die, all right? But let's keep Jesus' prayer in mind here. Uh, context is key. Jesus' prayer is what's in view. Those themes, God, make me more like your son. God, help me in my holiness. Help me in my obedience. May your name be great. Give me what I need, not what I want. That's the context here. So all of these things that Jesus is saying, ask and you'll get it. Seek and you'll find it. Knock and it'll be open. He's saying, God's glory, your obedience, your holiness. God is ready and willing and and more than willing to give you those things. He'll give them to you. So ask. And then Jesus sums this all up for us. He says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right, now, I don't have any kids. But I have a niece named Natalie. And if she asked me for food, I'm not going to give her a snake, right? That would be like the cruelest thing in the world, right? And Amber would kill me. Uh, My sister is no one to play with whenever it comes with her children. Uh, But if we would love our children, right, and we're sinners... How much more does God love us? Jesus is constantly making this lesser to greater argument. If you couldn't imagine your neighbor being like this, how much more does God love you? If you couldn't imagine treating your child like this, why would you think that God the Father won't give you what you need? That's the argument, lesser to greater. You couldn't imagine doing this. Why would you think that God would not give you aid whenever you asked for it? Why would you think that God would not be a good father to you? And then Jesus promises us something cool. He says that, that for all the material things that we could ask for, God will promises to give us something greater than all that, and that's his Holy Spirit. And we don't think about the Holy Spirit a lot. Like, I'm, I'm guilty of that. We tend to kind of, like, knock on him and not really talk about him much. But the Holy Spirit is the one who is going to empower us and bring our godly requests to a reality. Like, we can do nothing by ourselves. But the Spirit that God gives us whenever we have faith in Christ, is is the one who works in us and works through us and gives us the strength it requires to trust God, to do his will, and to give us direction so that we can do things for God's glory. And and, and this is really cool to me. These Holy Spirit-empowered things are the very reason that God saved us. Right? There's a lot of reasons that God saved us, right? He saved us because he said that he would, because he's faithful to himself, because he wanted to show his justice and his mercy on the cross by Christ taking uh, our punishment in our place. But, like, your salvation isn't, like, the end goal. That wasn't it. Like, that's like a step. Like, okay, I saved you. You're not going to hell. I'm faithful. I'm good. I've shown you that I love you, but I've saved you from more than just to say, well, I'm not going to hell anymore. Right? So, so follow me on this. If God sent Jesus to die in order to make his name great and establish his kingdom here and be our provision for our sin, to forgive us for our sins, and then by example to lead us into righteousness, how much more will the Father answer our prayers for these exact same things to happen. That's a cool thought that I had. All right, you know, God sent Christ to die and come back from the dead to save us from his wrath, to make us his children, and then mold us into the likeness of Christ. And if you don't believe me, check this out. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if God sent Christ to make you his child and to make him your father, how much more does he desire his Holy Spirit to actually empower you to live like his child? That's what God wants. That's why we can ask and receive these godly, good requests. So so what I want us to understand is a couple of things. I want us to understand that that God is a good father. He, He wants our good. 
Um, he wants to give us what will benefit us, not what's going to harm us. He wants to give us what's going to make us more like Jesus, is what I'm saying. And, and he proves that on a daily basis to us by answering our godly, good, Christ-reflecting, God-exalting requests with yes. And by answering our selfish, self-seeking, self-destructive requests with no. Right? We usually, we want to get it twisted and say, God didn't answer my prayer. Yeah, he did. He said no. <laughs> right? And, we, and like, we don't like to hear that. There's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. God just says no. Uh, but he doesn't do it because he's mad at you. He doesn't do it because he's punishing you. He does it because he knows what you need. And apparently you didn't need that thing that you wanted in the moment. And here's where it kind of gets sticky. Maybe the thing that you wanted was a good thing to want. Right? Maybe you didn't want someone to die. Maybe you wanted someone to be healed. Maybe you wanted um, a better job so you could provide for your family better. Maybe you wanted something good. Maybe you prayed for the salvation of somebody and it just didn't happen. Maybe it was a good thing uh, to want. But God says that we won't get it because he knows what's best for us. You know, we, we, we can trust that our Father is good and, and that he knows that we don't need that specific thing for whatever reason that it was, but we can trust his will. And I'll tell you why. Because he's given us Jesus. Above everything else that we could ask for, he's given us Jesus. He's proven his unfailing and all-encompassing love for us because he sent Christ to be the propitiation for our sin, to, to suffer all of God's wrath for us in our place so that he could call us his children. That's love. So don't ever, even if God tells you no in your prayers or, or something's happening around you and you don't understand why and it seems like God's just telling you no, no, no. Don't doubt the Father's affection for you ever. Never for one Second, you know, times might be hard on us and we might have to endure pain, but we know that God is not punishing us because Paul says there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. But we know that James says God is completing our faith. That's a hard pill to swallow, but whenever we suffer, we grow if we stay faithful. And it's all to the glory of God. And we know that God loves us because he sent Christ to die for us. Don't ever doubt that. All right, so let's pray, right? That's the big challenge here. Right? That's the challenge this evening. Pray. Jesus gives us an outline for how we should pray. Jesus wants us to follow it. He wants us to ask for these godly, God-exalting things. So, so what I would beg you to do is I would beg you to begin praying daily, right? And I'm being real. Who in here every single day intentionally sets time aside to pray? No, be, be like, like, that's cool. Like, I hope you do, because I, I don't do it every single day. So I'm, I'm right here with you. Um, I'm right here with you in this. So if you don't really know how to start or where to start, here's a good outline, right? Jesus gives us a prayer. Start. Five minutes. That's all I'm asking you to do. I, I seriously, I used to do this, no joke. Um, I would get a stopwatch out because our old pastor challenged us to do this. And I would time myself for five minutes and I would pray. And then every day after that, add another minute until you get to a half hour. And then we'll talk. Come find me if you make it to a half hour because I don't know how many of you are actually going to listen to me on this. All right? That's really not much to ask for. All right? Take the privilege that God's given you. Right, you, you can do this. A half hour is not really that long, right? We watch TV all the time. A half hour is not really that long. You can do this. And if you say, oh, I can't, pray that God helped you, right? See, this is a big circular thing here. This is one of those good godly requests that he'll answer, right? He'll answer with yes, rather. He will, he will give you aid in this, right? Whenever you pray, pray for whatever, right? Pray for yourself. Pray for family. Pray for Scioto County that God would move here. Um, pray for Shawnee State and the people down there. Pray for your future. Pray for your job. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your kids. I don't care what you pray for, but whatever you're praying for, pray that God would do his will and bring your obedience and bring his glory in all of these things that you've prayed for. And everything that you pray for, the Bible tells us to cast our cares and cast our worries on the Lord. The craziest thing about prayer is God wants your problems. He knows that we can't bear them. 
But he can, and that's why he wants it. So the Father loves us. And I really want you guys to know that. You know, he, he put his son on a cross in order to prove that to us. That's how much he loved us, that he would, he would deny himself his son and make his son suffer wrath. And I wouldn't do that for anyone in here. But that's how unfathomably uh, much that he loves us. That while we were sinners, while we didn't love him back, that he would love us this much. And because of that, we should desire to know him more. We should pursue him daily. We should seek him. We should desire to be holy like him. So, so as a body of believers here at Rev, um, let's become just radically devoted to prayer. Every day, you know, asking for, for wisdom to know God's will, for, for the Holy Spirit to empower us for obedience, for God's name to be made great in everything that we do, asking God for what we need for the day, not what we want, and asking God for his kingdom to come soon. You know, let's remember what prayer is about, and, and let's reorient our thinking about the whole reason that we even exist, right? To glorify God by doing his will and bringing him praise. You know, the Father promises to give us these things. So like Jesus says, let's ask and let's ask and let's seek and let's seek in our lives, seeking obedience, and let's knock and let's knock, going hard after God in everything, every day, until either we stop breathing or he answers our prayers and brings his kingdom. Let's pray. Uh, Father, Thank you for the privilege to call you Father. Um, we were once so far away from you, but Jesus brought us near to you by the cross. And I thank you for that. We didn't deserve it. We deserved hell, but that you would show us mercy in Jesus. And Father, I pray that, I pray that we would pray more. Um, that we would just get a hunger to seek you out on a daily basis and be intentional about talking with you. Um, God, help us to pray for the things that you want us to pray for. Um, God, aid us in our holiness. Aid us in our obedience. Um, Put something in us that doesn't feel complete if we aren't seeking you out and talking to you and listening back for your direction. Father, make us more like your son and, and lead us into holiness, lead us into righteousness so that your name would be made great everywhere. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.